0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOPod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by BioOptimizers P3OM. P3OM uses a patented probiotic strain. P3OM is used to help fight gut parasites and pathogens. If you head over to p3om.com forward slash human, you can see their video of it breaking down a piece of steak in a Petri dish. Bio-Optimizers is confident you will like their product, so they offer a money back guarantee. Please visit their site to see the guarantee details before purchasing. If you would like to give them a try, head over to the letter P the Number three, the letters om.com forward slash human and enter the code human10 for an extra 10% off your next purchase. Now, on to the next topic.
1: Uh, I just put us up where we are. Up. Okay, Matt Wade, welcome back. Thanks for coming on again. Uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, let me just uh ask you guys what's new in your guys' world. How are you guys surviving the uh, the lockdown? Is that is that in? significantly impacting your livelihood or your life for uh, how are things for you guys these days
2: yeah overall it's good um business wise we we've been building virtual businesses for the last couple decades so almost zero change there but I, i live in panama and i think the only place that's more locked down is probably dubai where you need a a written permission to leave i can leave my home four hours a week and if i leave outside that time you go straight to jail Wow. Um, So that's where I'm at. So lifestyle-wise, certainly not a lot of socialization going on. uh, But uh, that's where I'm at. Wade?
3: You know, for me, it's, uh, I got to say, I I bailed out of LA before it all happened and went to Sedona, Arizona. So um, I'm lucky. My quality of life actually probably went up. I'm with our kind of like our insider Um, scientific researcher and genetic and nutrigenomics coach like we're really good friends and so she's got a little apartment here next to her house which I'm renting I'm out hiking about three hours a day in the sunshine in the gorgeous hills kind of catching up on stuff or doing my calls while I'm walking which is great I introduced uh, alternate day fasting so I, I eat for 12 hours and go 36 probably drop 20 pounds so i mean everything's <laughs> everything's winning in my world uh, i'm very concerned about the long term impacts for people though and and, and and i'm and I've certainly got a lot of friends with the mental health side of things but uh company wise you know matt's really directed and built a lot of great systems in our company i think he's really good at that and um and we 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 had a really good quarter one as well, like you know so I think you know. We're, we're in a lot better shape than a lot of businesses as far as, you know, cash reserves and things like that, that, uh, you know, other companies, you know, if you're in that tight, tight zone, it's a tough one out there. It's a tough one out there. So we're not dependent on the PPP and the EIDL and, you know, the whateverness so uh, that a lot of people are. So we have really, really, really good. And then uh, we're excited about what's going to come to the future. I think it's putting health on the for us. So we're planning for that and,
0: continue to grow and continue to expand and continue to serve? Yeah. I mean, if there's a silver lining at the end of all this, it'll, it'll hopefully be that people realize, you know, obviously being healthy isn't a guarantee remedy for something like this, but it certainly is going to put you in a better position to, to defend yourself. If you are, find yourself getting contracted with something, whether it's, you know, a virus or anything else. So uh, you know, maybe it'll be the wake up call that a lot of us Americans need that at this time point in time
1: yeah I wonder if we'll see people you know that that you know after this is all said and done they think they'll they'll, they'll go to the store they'll wear their mask continue to wear their mask uh and and buy their twinkies and Doritos and coca-cola you know <laughs> i think that you know that the irony of that to me is just you know it's it's kind of interesting yeah. i, I yeah. I, you know, there's people that like, well, you know, you're in sad shape and many people are, I mean, as you guys know, we're, we're, you know, the four of us probably are, you know, unique among, you know, people that we probably are all in better shape than, you know, 95% of the population or arguably, I mean, Zach's a friggin' hundred mile world record holder. So, I mean, there's not, you you would put that number three orders of magnitude higher, but um, so, I mean, you know, like I said, Hopefully, the upshot of this, and I'm being optimistic and probably the realist in me says probably people go right back to what they were doing, uh, eating their garbage and not caring, but maybe there'll be some sort of person that gets it in in, in the position of authority that can say, hey, let's let's change some things to where we don't have such a sick population and so that our healthcare system can withstand a little bit of pressure. Because right now, it's like, you know, because we're so inundated with the acute exacerbations of chronic disease. I mean, you look at it, you look at a hospital day to day on a normal day, not in this COVID-19 era, but on a normal day, everybody in the hospital is basically somebody who has a chronic disease or who's had some exacerbation, of an acute exacerbation, whether it's respiratory illness, cardiac illness, diabetic complications, so on and so forth. And that's what that's what occupies all of our resource for the most part. There's occasional trauma and stuff like that, but really it's, it's that other stuff. And when we have a hospital system that, you know, is filled with those people or needs to continue to treat those people, resources run, run pretty, pretty slim. And so, I mean, all of us are about lifestyle and that sort of stuff. And sometimes you you feel like you're preaching to people that don't want to hear that message. But anyway, we continue to persist. So um, I'm just interested about Panama, you know, I mean, what is the, what is the, uh, are they having a lot of cases down there? Are they having a lot of mortality? Because, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't know what the, the, the temperature difference is because I've seen some studies that say in temperate zones and northern zones, we have higher rates. And then in these tropical zones, the rates are lower. But again, most of these tropical zone countries don't have testing materials. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many confounders in there. So why, why are they are they armed? I know South Africa's got troops marching the streets. I know we've heard from, I've heard from guys like Ecuador where they're really clamping down. And they're, they're, they're really almost, it's almost a martial law situation. Are you in that down there in Panama? Well, uh,
2: yeah, we are. It seems to have been working as far as the number of cases um, were, were good. And the, the mortality rate is half to a third of most places. Um, so I think you know, they were very aggressive and fast to act and obviously very extreme. But it seems to have worked in terms of stopping the spreading and not overwhelming the hospitals. So, you know, that's the positive and all that. But yeah, we are definitely locked down over here.
1: <laughs> and then Sedona, I mean, that's, are, are you, I guess, you know, if you're out in the back country and the trails, it's hard to enforce, you know, social distancing and wearing masks and stuff like that. I don't know. Well, Zach, you're in Arizona too. What's, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, Just south Arizona of situation?
0: you right now. I'm in Northern, North central Phoenix, Wade. So I think you're about an hour and a half North. And uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting because you know Phoenix is a big city. It's like the fifth or sixth biggest city in the U S now, but, we haven't gotten hit too hard and i know some at least on the by the numbers and i think a lot of that might be a combination of just they're maybe a little later even than uh everyone else to start kind of a thorough testing protocol but the other thing too is phoenix is so spread out compared to like new york and southern california where people are just stacked on top of each other and uh You know, I actually think New York is probably getting hit double because they're stacked on top of each other. And then they are like everyone uses the, the mass transport stuff. Whereas in Phoenix, you know, there really isn't a very good or any for that matter, other than some buses like mass transit system where they're getting people like everyone stacked into there and stuff like that. So I think we've just been a little more naturally isolated from one another due to spacing differences. So that maybe has kept things slower here. Uh, my guess is, and Wade, you can correct me if I'm wrong, up in Sedona, it's probably that much safer, if you want to call it that, because Sedona is such a tourist area. I would imagine there's just not a whole lot of pass-through tourism right now, so it's just the locals. Yeah, well, the first week, <laughs> the first week, the trails were crazy because they
3: were advertising for people to come to Sedona. Oh. And then... And so, <laughs> So it was insane. It was actually when the lockdown started, there was the most people I ever saw on the trails ever. Like it was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then um, the kind of the town kind of started enforcing people. Hey, if you're not from here, get out. And then that kind of sh- that shifted. They, sh- they, and they locked down. They did lock down some of all the main trails, the kind of the, the tourist attractions here. Mm-hmm. But I think generally in crisis, uh, small towns work better um it's 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 a it's a local place there's less people i think there's more integration with the various things so i think it's an easier sell and again i think temperature uh separation instantly that you have i think like the dryness of the desert and a lot of people move to the desert because of respiratory uh benefits so i think those are definite factors uh, that are making it easy. And
1: uh, yeah, I'm getting as much vitamin D, probably the most vitamin D I've gotten in years. It's so. kind of funny. My, uh, my girlfriend, cause our, we have a son who's, you know, in school, but home doing schoolwork, you know, you know on a computer, but he's got, actually got a break. He's got like a week break coming up and she was like, well, let's go, let's rent an RV and drive somewhere. And I was like, okay, I'll go do that. But then you look, I was thinking about going to Sedona cause I, you know, I used to live in there. I used to live in Surprise down in you know, the Phoenix oh, yeah. area. And uh, I thought, well, that might be fun. I said, you know, five, six hour drive, you know, there won't be much traffic on the road and, you know, everything, you know, you can't because there's no place you can camp. All the, all the campgrounds are closed. And so it's going to be one of those wait till, wait till it's over. I'm not, I don't know that I'm all that crazy about driving around in an RV, but she wants to do that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do it anyway. Just front. Hey, why? what's uh, what's the move to the alternate day fasting? Was there a, what was the impetus to do that? Uh, was, was it just Well, number one,
3: Number one, I'm not able to hit the gym every day. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to ha- yeah, I can't do my, my regular weight routine, which is, you know, usually four or five days a week and, you know, hitting it hard. So I'm like, okay, now I got it. I'm the body weight training and bands. I did get a set of dumbbells last week, which felt like someone delivered me a Ferrari. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I said, okay, I can train maybe three days a week, like all whole body kind of workouts. And then I'll just fast and do long hikes to kind of really get into kind of fat metabolism and oxidization. And I said, I'll, I'll extend, I'll extend those fast to 36 hours and do a 1236. Cause I've been doing fasting a lot of times and I just didn't want the metabolic slowdown. And, um, you know, I throw in a couple sprints on twice a week and it's, it's awesome. I mean, I was just like, Oh geez, I, I think I, I think I actually, I always kind of want to try that. And this was the opportunity. And, and for the old guy like me, it's been awesome. I was like, why didn't I do this before? You know, this is, this is, this is really, really good. So, uh, it's easy, it's fun and it's a new experiment. So why not get the most out of it? How far into the experiment are you? What's that? How far, how long have you been doing it? Uh, I've been here doing this for one month. So I, I fast three days in the first two weeks on the off days, I I did not limit any kind of like anything would go I could eat as much as I wanted but what I've noticed is now on the off days my desire for food is now diminished so my body just flips into fat burning mode right away so it's been really really good and I I think it's it's something I'll probably talk about a little bit more for um, you know the the middle-aged guys like me I think it's a it's 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 probably the easiest I've done every different fat loss program you can from in the last 30 years, every kind of diet you can imagine. So I've lost fat on every kind of program. This one is really good. It's easy.
2: One of the biggest questions for that hasn't been researched enough. They're starting to get some research, but it's how fast does your metabolism down regulate? Um, And you know, every diet works. We know that, but the, the the ultimate strategy, something that would prevent metabolic downregulation. And theoretically, and against the theory, the, you know, the benefit of the alternate day is because you're eating kind of a normal calorie load on one day. And then the other day you're not, uh, when you're eating that full meal schedule, your metabolism is going to get revved up and you're not going to to downregulate because you know, I know Wade's experienced it. And the research says after about 72 hours of fasting, for example, your metabolism starts dropping. We also know that the body will adapt if, if I just cut my calories by 500 calories a day, after a few days, a few weeks, a couple of weeks, your body starts down regulating. that's why we're big fans of, of spiking calories. So I'd love to see a lot more research on you know when does your leptin start dropping? etc etc because that's when we can really start optimizing fat loss long term not just these 12 week um weight loss routines which which don't work we know that at this point
1: yeah i mean they work
2: short term but you rebound
1: yeah i'm I'm currently you know just for uh, coincidentally uh i i for some some odd reason i decided i want to do some crossfit stuff and you know being Six five two forty is not really optimal CrossFit body size, and so I'm kind of leaning out, and so I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. So You're I'm different. you know I'm 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 leaning out. I'm I'm probably as lean as I've been in my life right now, and uh, I am uh, doing a little similar. I mean, I'm I'm not doing any significant length, lengthy fasting, but I'm definitely once one meal a day. It's a lot of protein mostly, and then I'll have a will throw a, I'll throw a refeed in there of, you know because I'm on i a, on a, I'm still within a carnivore diet, so I'll do a refeed. Yeah. Or I'm loading up on the rib eyes. And so it's periodically, and I kind of just kind of intuitively kind of know it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I can go through four days and then I need to eat, you know, and then, and, 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 you know, and that has progressed, that has worked pretty well for me so far. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I feel good. My performance is good. And I think the other thing is, you know, when we talk about fasting and a lot of people talk about, well, we know growth insulin growth hormone will, will kind of pop up a little bit for a couple of days and then it will kind of settle back down in that. 48 72 hour period but there's also this sort of in play with mTOR. and i think you know we see that you know i think one of the things you have to put in there is you have to train i mean i think you have to keep driving that that uh that physiology that wants you to build muscle and so you got to do the resistance training you know to preserve that muscle mass i know because mm-hmm. some people say well you can fast you're never gonna lose any muscle mass i think that's very that's that's not necessarily true i think you need to support it you know obviously i think protein is is important when you are eating you need to make sure you get ample protein and then when you are fasted i think it's important to you know stimulate the muscle in some way i mean obviously when you're when you're on covid lockdown you don't have weights and stuff i'm very fortunate i i spent years ago I, I i spent the money on a home gym and i've got just equipment up and again yeah you know, i can do pretty much pretty good stuff with what i've got at home so it's nice to to have that at this time of the year but uh Anymore. yeah sean's actually got a gladiator pit at his house i do my it's actually it's actually a horse turnout so it's a horse turnout this is just, just dirt and it's got walls and you know we haven't done anything whether there's like a trampoline in there but I, I i use it as my little pit so i go in there and lift medicine balls and i've got i've got 200 pound medicine balls and heavy ass kettlebells. i'll bring my rowing machine out there in the, in the sun and sweat and you know do all kind of carry and walk around with 300 pound sandbags and just do strongman type stuff and that's been that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Dude,
3: that, that sounds, that sounds, sounds so awesome. Just to follow up on that thought, what I did notice is, um, I do three days of fasting and one day I was trying, I was going to try and do an ex, ex, extra day, like try and go to four fasting ways. I did it the, about the second, about halfway through the second week. I did that. I felt the drop off right there. So I felt a slowdown on my metabolism. So I said, okay. Instead, what I do is I do like Tuesday, Thursday, and then I load again on Friday and Saturday and then flip over to fasting on Sundays again. So I do do a couple extra days of filling up the body. The other thing is is I make sure that I get on my feed days. When I break the fast, I take 50 grams of protein off the first before I eat anything else because if I eat anything – too carbohydrate laden. I find it kind of spins out a little bit. So those are a couple things that I've noticed. And I really load, I really be conscientious on my protein on those days that I am loading. So I'm getting about 200 grams that day, which is about double what I would normally take on a day-to-day basis for me. So those are a couple of the integrations that I've kind of observed just on the process that's, that seem to to stabilize uh, stuff.
1: Yeah, I think even guys like uh, was it was Jason Fung. I don't know if you're for, were familiar with him. He's you know he's a huge advocate of fasting. I think he will even recommend that uh, you know you kind of stagger the fasting. You don't you don't get into this you know same thing day in and day out because we do see that metabolic down regulation. You get cold. I mean you're, you you know you just your body's like hell. We're not you're gonna you're gonna be a little cold because we're not gonna generate as much body heat or whatever. I mean you 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 see that thing creep up. So it's a real phenomenon. So I do think it absolutely makes sense to do the refeeds, and I did one. yesterday I did one Wednesday. I ate too damn much, man. I, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I wasn't used to it. I was like, oh man, I just felt miserable, you know. And I, you know, that, that was one thing I used to realize when I used to do ketogenic diets, and I would do the carb refeeds. You know, the cyclic ketogenic diets. I would just get in there and just. You know, and and but I would look at like the, the 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 prescription of what I'm supposed to eat, how many grams of carbohydrate, and I would get through that. And I was like, man, I just feel miserable. It's just you kind of you get hard to. It's almost embarrassing. You turn into a lightweight. And you're like, man, I can't eat as much as I could. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, well, I've got to figure out on the refeed day how not to make myself miserable because I, it, it it was like being hung over for, uh, you know, 24 hours afterwards for me. So I've got to just, and perhaps I shouldn't have eaten, you know, five ribeyes and you know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever else. Maybe I'll limit to three, three next time, or something like that. But I'm still, you know, even on my uh, my my sort of restricted day, I'm still probably putting away 250, 300 grams of protein. And, and you know, my diet is on those days is very low fat. It's relatively, you know, it's probably 75 percent or more protein, and then 25 percent fat, which is a, yeah, complete opposite of way. Normally, normally it was the other way around: 30 percent protein, 70 percent fat, and so. It's working to get me leaner, I can tell you that. I mean, I don't know, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I haven't jumped on the scale, I'm scared too, because I don't <laughs> want to lose, you know, but my strength is still pretty good. So that's the, you know, those are the metrics I care about, you know, it's performance, strength, body composition. Mm-hmm.
0: You're gonna have all sorts of people mad that you didn't do it before and after, like biometric screening, Sean.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to pay the money for that. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> I can see in a mirror. I mean, you know, it's obvious, you know, you can see where you're at, you know, and uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, what are you guys up to? What's new with, what's new with BioOptimizer stuff? Uh, anything we need to know about? I know you, you guys were, you had a new thing coming out last time we talked to you about, was it about six months or something like that? I can't remember how long it's been, but uh, what's the latest yeah. and the greatest?
2: couple, a couple new things. One is uh, a seven magnesium blend, uh, that we can't talk too much about because we sold out. So we're gonna spend too much. Time twice, about. twice. <laughs> so we're gonna be restocked in May. We and, and we we tried to prepare. Uh, we knew it was gonna be a hot seller in December, but uh, yeah, we didn't expect it was to be at this level. So, but people love it, you know. And magnesium is definitely one of the most important macro minerals in the body. Um, you know, for stride does three hundred functions in the body. So, anyways, that's been a huge success. Uh, we can come back, talk about that in our time. But the other one that we're really excited about that's just being released right now is called Cognibiotics, and it's a uh, psychobiotic formula. Uh, so psychobiotics are, are specific strains that produce specific neurotransmitters for the brain. We know that the gut produces up to 30 different neurotransmitters. That's basically where all the feel-good uh, pharmaceutical chemicals that are natural are, are made and transmitted to the brain. So we created a formula that has the specific strains that help boost those levels, whether it's serotonin, GABA, um, and, and et cetera, et cetera. We've also fortified it with Chinese herbs that also help improve different neurotransmitters. So yeah, we're really excited about it. Uh, definitely helps improve your mood, your focus, helps reduce uh, brain fog because you know glutamate, when your glutamate too high in your brain, uh, you're going to have brain fog. So the neurotransmitters, or the specific bacteria will help convert some of the glutamate to GABA and help you feel more relaxed. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. It does definitely um, produce a, a really pow- profound effect and we, we love it.
0: Do you guys know much about like when someone finds themselves in that brain fog with that increased glutamate, what, what's driving that or what's kind of causing that?
2: could be a lot of things. Certainly diet is, is a big one. Um, bad sleep is a big one. Uh, so it depends, you know, it can be just very specific things that you're eating. Um, it, it, that's a very broad question. You know, you really have to look at the person, but typically I'd say diet, bad sleep are the big ones.
3: Yeah. Und- undigested proteins feeding bad bacteria that really cropping in your blood uh, seems to be one of the biggest. So I always say if you're getting the little crusties in the eyes in the morning, and if you have that brain fog or bad breath uh, early in the day, usually that's because you've got a bunch of undigested proteins sitting in the gut. So one, either you didn't break down the protein in the first stages, you know, with your digestive component, or you don't have the bacteria that are going to build that. And I I have a theory because I was talking about this on another podcast the other day. It was a more bodybuilding-oriented podcast. And um, one of the things I noticed in the bodybuilding community is how many people kind of struggle with depression uh, in the sport, fitness competitors and bodybuilder competitors and things like that. And I realized, wait a second. I wonder, you know, there's the, you know the consumption of protein is probably the number one focus of bodybuilders. And of course, they're, yes they 're taking anabolics and stuff like that, so you kind of get the euphoric of the anabolics if people are doing that, but when they come off these contests and go off this, I think their guts are so off that 's how I got into this whole world. My gut was off from that whole thing, and I just don 't think they 're able to make the neurotransmitters for their brain they don 't have the bacteria they 're used to the, the protein, you know like because you know uh, anabolics work by increasing protein synthesis. So you can kind of feel good from the euphoria of that, but you're still not improving your digestion. And I, I saw the other day Dexter Jackson talking about how he was getting criticized about a bigger belly. And then last year, what he did is he said, I've, I focused exclusively on proving my digestion. He goes, it wasn't the growth hormone and all these things. He says, that's what brought my waist in back to what it used to be. He says, just by fixing my digestion. And I thought that was really indicative of of course that's all clinical but you know when you got mr a former mr olympia his caliber talking about it i think there's there's merit there and i've seen a lot of people when they start correcting their bacteria all of a sudden they don't get the kind of that depressive nature that's prevailing in the in the in the in the sport
1: It's kind of funny you guys may be aware you know joe rogan uh you know he did this carnivore diet and prior to he had a weigh-in and some of the, uh, I guess, vegan advocates were saying, "Oh, look, he's got a big HGH gut, he's got a big bubble gut, he's got a big steroid gut," and then he went on a carnivore diet, and it just disappeared. And like, you know, you know, that, that bloating just went away like within a month. And so it's like, well, then obviously that's not due to HGH or whatever they, they presume he was he was taking. So yeah, I mean, certainly you see that with, with the distension, you know, with and obviously bacteria fermentating bacteria are gonna gonna lead to that. So yeah, I think the gut. The gut, uh, you know, bacteria, gut permeability—all those things play a role in, in you know, well, in health in general, but uh, certainly in, in the, the appearance of one's midsection. You
2: know. Yeah, and that's what, that's why I think we're we're big fans of tests like Biome, Viome, V-I-O-M-E, um, which will tell you which strains you have, but more importantly, tell you which foods you can eat a lot of and not get that gas that bloated stomach not get those digestive distress and which foods you should avoid and i know that when i eat you know even certain meats right if you're carnivore for an example i've i've never felt good on chicken you know that's kind of a bodybuilding staple i've never liked chicken beef no problem i can eat as much beef as i want zero digestive distress i feel great Um, so even optimizing your protein selection or even your vegetable selection if you're a vegetarian can make a huge impact on your your gut, your digestion, how you feel. And you know, long term, if you have undigested protein, you're gonna have some health problems. So I think optimizing your food again on an individual level is something we're really big at by optimizers and, and using data to do that is really the key. So biomes are great test to do. And you know, we gotta I gotta give credit to Stan Efforting for the vertical diet, the thinking he's done around, you know, again, because when you're a bodybuilder or a strength athlete, and especially he deals with some of the guys that have to eat six to 10,000 calories a day, it's a great experiment because if you're eating the wrong foods at that quantity, you're, you're, you're going to get an extreme consequence and extreme problems. So what that, what that led him to do is, is really focus on foods that you can digest easily, get rid of gas producing foods. And uh, you know, it's a great, thing that we can apply in our own ways. And I can, that's where Viome comes in.
1: Yeah. We've had Stan on, and, and I like Stan's take on that stuff. I think he, he understands that, that gut health is important. And a lot of people are, you know, you still feel good when your guts are, you don't want to train. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, one of the things I, I've seen with, uh, you know, one of the concerns people have is, you know, if they send a microbiome sample, a stool sample to one company and they send to another company, they often will get, a different result. And so I'm just wondering, is there intra or inter, you know, differences in the tests or what's the reliability on these things? You know, if, if you, if you send everything to the same company, are you more likely to get a more, uh, accurate or, or at least some degree of precision there? Uh, how do you guys sort of, sort of account for those? Well, I, I
2: recently did an experiment. Um, I did that. The, the tests were relatively similar. Viome does go a lot deeper then Thrive. Thrive was the other test that I did. But a, a more interesting note was, because again, usually 80, 90% of the time I'm, I'm keto. When I travel, sometimes I'll, I'll get off and, and go back on when I'm home. But I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to eat carbs and do a test because usually because the first the test before that I'd done keto and just to see what the difference would be. And they were pretty significant. And, and we know now that if you start eating food, that you're not eating, well, you're going to start feeding certain colonies of bacteria and starving others, right? There's certain colonies of bacteria that love steak, for example. Some love lettuce and veggies, certain veggies. So depending what you're feeding, that's going to change the test dramatically. But I think ultimately, um, it's still valuable data. Is it, is it super precise you know, it's not, right? Ultimately, again, it's it's changing on a really on a daily basis. But I do, from experience, eating the foods that they, they put in the superfood category, um, I can digest those very easily. So just kind of con- comparing their data with my own biofeedback, um, I would say validated a lot of stuff that I just intuitively felt, for example, the chicken and stuff like that.
1: What do, you, what do you guys, I know like some people are more into sort of biohacking, bio-optimizing other, than others. Uh, what do you guys find are relative metrics to look at? You know, when you're, you know, obviously there's the macro things, just what's my body composition, how am I performing? But if you're going to say, I'm going to fine tune things a little bit, what do you guys like to pay attention to?
3: I'll, I'll do my five and then I'll kind of give you that. So of course, DEXA scan is, is right up there. Um, Dutch test to watch not just the hormones, what you've got, but also to see if you've got conversion issues. And then you combine that with uh, Nutracell. I don't know if you've done the Nutracell test, but basically they send your blood off. I think it's to Texas, they send the blood off. And it's really neat They, they you draw, you, you have your end, you draw the blood and they, they, they send it off and, and then they put it through spins. And I don't know how they do it, but I think there's like 31 different separations they create. And they can tell not only the deficiencies that you have, but how well you absorb particular nutrients. So then you get a, re, a complete breakdown of what ones you're taking, you know, because you, you know what you're taking, you go, well, gee, I'm taking this, but I'm not absorbing this. So you kind of get determined, like the, the individual variants. Um, then um, the uh, pulse test, which is kind of the state-of-the-art looking at uh, protein uh ligament or whatever the name it is. I forget the actual name. It's, it's basically selling the denatured proteins around your heart and then HOMO-IR, which regulates insulin and glucose together because they're not necessarily uh, concordant. So uh, doing those fives and then getting someone to interpret your um, like genus data um then it kind of kind of gives you kind of the predisposition so i guess that's actually six six tests dexas is not really i mean everybody kind of knows about dexa and, and it kind of gives you that side but the, from the testing side and then we just run that with um our our kind of in in-house team that looks and interprets the data because you get genetic stuff i mean you got to interpret the, the information and i think that's that's a, that's, that's a task that requires a certain IQ level, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people that don't get that that aren't in that club. So you want to have someone that really knows their shit.
2: Yeah. I mean, if we like, we like to break down the, you know, the body overall in, in three categories, health, aesthetics, and performance. And obviously it's different sets of metrics for each aesthetics is pretty straightforward. It's lean body mass and body fat. Um, and, and again, you know, there is an optimal zone. I mean, you, you're going to start becoming unhealthy as a male, for an example, probably below 8% body fat, you're probably going to have issues. Obviously over probably 18, 20% is not ideal. So there is a range, same thing with lean body mass. Um, you know, there's probably, again, a certain range. We start getting 25, uh, it, it, we call it fat-free mass per inch, kind of the the metric uh, past 25 is probably a, a little too big so those are some of the things you can look at on, on the aesthetic side but health obviously it's it's a much more complex all the tests that wade mentioned are, are key things that i look for in my blood work obviously liver enzymes prostate uh you know the psas the lipids and you know what we're big fans of is when, you, when stuff is off then you make adjustments and then you go back and retest. For an example, um, just based on some tests that I did, I'm like, you know, I thought the coconut oil is too good for me. And I went to get some, some blood tests. And my triglycerides were like 197. And I'm like, you know, i got to get rid of the coconut oil and see what that does. And it fixed it. You know, so that's the kind of value that you can get from testing and then creating a new hypothesis or new theory and then getting retested because You know, health-wise, if you look at disease and and different uh, health issues, it takes a long time for that stuff to manifest. So if you can nip it in the bud very early, make the adjustments, you can prevent a lot of big health crises in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So that's why we're so big on on data and testing, because, hey, let's catch catch stuff today, let's make the adjustments today, not wait for the, the serious symptoms to show up. And, you know, it's pretty exciting. I think testing is going to get uh, more comprehensive and cheaper. Eventually, you know, we'll probably all have a, a little watch that, that pricks your your, uh, your skin every hour and gives you all kinds of metrics that we can't even dream of. Because, you know, the, the downside of blood tests or any test, for an, ex- an example, it's a snapshot in time. And if you just take glucose, for an example, or testosterone, there's massive changes in a 24 hour period. So, you know, is a snapshot valuable? Of course it is. But is it as valuable as seeing all the cycles that your body naturally goes to? Of course it isn't. So I'm pretty excited about just getting better and better uh, tracking capabilities and getting them cheaper. Cause you know, if I go get blood work here, um, I do my full panels, like 1200 bucks you know, and, and I'll get it done every two, three months, but I'd love to be able to do that on a daily basis uh, for, for almost nothing. So I think it's going to happen, but we're probably five, 10, 20 years away from that.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are really good points. I think too, because it's like, like you said, like one single, you, you get a blood test, like, you know, a couple times a year and invest in that. And it's sometimes hard to know like, well, did I do everything right to get an accurate picture while I was there or, you might have a question of, well, that's, that's how my blood work looks when I'm kind of in this context of typically probably eight to 12 hours of a fasting, but like, yeah, well, what happens? Like if you want to look at like, what's your body doing post big workout and have all these different kind of trends, I guess you could say it gets, it's, it gets expensive. Um, and if you're trying to go ahead from a, maybe a little bit of a different angle, like it sounds like sometimes you guys are where you're just looking to see like, well, what did this change do? did this improve something or did it, was it something else that I didn't tease out? Is there, I guess my question then is, is there some some intuition that you've noticed has been pretty accurate compared to the tests where like if you feel something's off and you suspect it's something that you're doing or eating and then you correct that and go in and get the test and it confirms it. Is there stuff that you've learned like, okay, I can usually trust this intuition or this thing that my body's saying?
3: Yeah, yeah. I know I always correlate what I always do any, around any testing, I kind of take a, I've always been kind of taking an internal inventory. I learned that way back in the day when I was being coached by uh, Scott Abel. He always had his uh, athletes writing down biofeedback, like, are you tired? Are you having gas? Are you, are you feeling bloated? Are you extra hungry? Just these kind of indications. And so I got into the habit of kind of tuning into my biofeedback, you know, and then um, then matching that with any tests that you're doing. And so what am I feeling in in conjunction with whatever test I'm running? And so what I start to do is I get correlations of indications of what I feel like with testing data. And so it's not, so you kind of get a more intuitive field and keep, I've been keeping kind of biofeedback data on myself, like since literally 97, (laughs) you know, so, so I think, and I think the, the other advantage, I think, if you're an athletically inclined person in your whole life, I think you just have advantages about internalizing things. You know, I was, we we had an an interview not that long ago with this strength coach from the New York Giants football team. And he said, you know, what's amazing about all his high performance athletes is they might not know the terminology, but they can tell you what's happening inside their body. like, yeah, yeah, when I, 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 I'm, at, I'm good at 85%, but when I kind of go to that next speed, I feel this kind of lock here, or I got this. Like, he said the biofeedback of all his, his, his professional athletes is so acute, they're so internally aware of what's going on. He says and you, you, he found the same thing by the, what they were telling them, he could correlate in, 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 the, in the lab analysis. Yeah, one,
2: one thing too, sorry. Just to no, go ahead, Matt. Uh, first of all, as Wade said, linking the, the data to the biofeedback is an incredible tool. And I think that one of the best, cheapest, and most readily available data sets we can access right now is HRV. And you know HRV is really measuring your nervous system and in real time. There's great tools like the BioStrap, which we're fans of. You can do a, snap, a two-minute snapshot anytime. And uh, uh, that's what I love to, about the O-ring the most. It's not the best sleep tracker for sleep. I, I prefer the Dream, D-R-E-E-M. But the, the readiness score that it gives me in the morning is really valuable, right? It's looking at my body temperature, how fast did, it, did I hit stage four sleep, looking at heart rate variability, looking at my heart rate, how fast that it dropped down. And it tells me, hey, how fried am I? And in terms of, you know, training – uh, you know, am I going to go beat myself up and try to do a PR if my readiness scores in the gutter? Probably not a smart move. However, if I'm, if I'm fresh, I can push it hard. But even food, and, and obviously the, um, the HRV monitors haven't adopted this yet, but if you eat a food that you might have a sensitivity to or a, some a minor allergic reaction to, which a lot of people do with a lot of different foods, you will see that on the HRV, your HRV will drop after that meal. So I think within the next couple of years, they'll probably start programming that in where you can say, hey, I ate chicken and it could track the HRV response. So that's a very inexpensive, uh, readily available method that I think we're gonna see more and more use of. So HRV is such a great tool right now to, to track your
0: nervous system. This episode of the HPO Podcast is brought to you by Energy CBD. Energy CBD specializes in formulating top-of-the-line THC-free CBD products. Their goal is to give customers transparent products and information in hopes to encourage a healthier and happier way of living. When used correctly, CBD has been shown to treat ailments including anxiety and depression, minimize physical pain and inflammation, and improve restorative sleep. Energy CBD specializes in oral tinctures and topical oil roll-ons using only pure CBD isolate. Tinctures are the most popular way of consuming CBD with just a couple of drops for full body relaxation. Their topical oil roll-ons are great for targeted relief. All handmade in the USA, thoroughly tested and approved by independent laboratories, this process ensures that no shortcuts are taken to achieve the highest quality THC-free CBD products. So, visit energycbd.store. That's capital letters N R G C B D dot store. And for an extra 20% off your entire order, throw in the discount code capital E, capital Z, number two, number zero at the checkout. Check out on Instagram at energy.cbd and on Facebook at energycbd. Links to all these can be found in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, and I I think uh, to to comment on Wade's input from before too, it's like you know one thing I've learned about myself over the years too is like if there's an intuitive thing that I can really lean on, it is going out and just doing a workout because you know at this point running for for nearly two decades, like I can go out and I can sense like if something's just a bit off, and then you go back and you look at the data from heart rate and pace and all that stuff post run, you can see like, yeah, I was, I was right. I was maybe, you know, just a little bit on razor's edge compared to like optimally ready for that workout. And it kind of shows up in the data, but you kind of knew it when you were doing it. So it is kind of funny how just like, I guess it's just like the repetition thing you spend so much time doing something you get so kind of in tune with your own body and the signals it's giving you, you can kind of read some stuff and and lean on that, but it is cool to have, uh, you know, products like, uh, like, uh, the, HVR and things like that to kind of confirm what you're doing and get have that peace of mind that you're not just throwing darts, I guess, at the board.
2: Yeah, we're big fans, again, of just optimizing the nervous system. Most people are just kind of trapped in a fight, flight, freeze response. You know, they wake up, they get on their phones, drink their coffee, you know, not right now, but typically we'd be in a one hour commute, work, rush back home, you know, go on their phones and then pass out, r- rinse and repeat. Uh, and, you know, obviously over time that this, you know, you get too, too much cortisol, too much adrenaline or nor- noradrenaline, and that burns you out or just compromises your health. So, you know, balancing your nervous system, optimizing your nervous system is, is a really big component, I think, of health and especially in today's world where it is hectic, it is intense, we're all wired into technology and, and social media. So, you know, just, just having strategies to mitigate some of that, I think is, is very wise.
3: I forgot one big piece too <laughs> is um, I've been meditating for about 20 years and um, I can kind of tell about how quickly, I can drop into meditation, or how deeply I can go. Meditation is a good indicator of where my nervous system is, or how if I'm overstimulated or things like that. So, that's also been a kind of a big tool. And of course, we're big fans of of, of uh, neural feedback training, where you can start working different, um, you know, the different brainwave states with different types of meditation or different practices and stuff. And that that feedback and and, and busting through some of those kind of neural patterns. I think is really I, I I think I think people really have underestimated when you can get the feedback on your meditation. like there's a lot of people attempting meditation or trying to do meditation or doing these things but they're not they don't have any they don't have any metrics where they can ref- get real time refinement you know it's kind of like the uh, the silicone brain giving you feedback on the carbon brain it's kind of like a, a new extension it's like bolting on a new set of Uh, stuff uh, you know new new observation piece over consciousness so i know matt and i are big fans of that and we and we've noticed um with us and a number of our our friends and colleagues the major major gains in in awareness and observational awareness of oneself kind of in all levels whether it's working states or rest states or training states that i think that's that's another tool in the toolbox people can leverage
1: What do you guys, uh, you know, as far as, uh, well, I don't know, I hate to talk, well, I, I guess I can, longevity is always sort of the thing that people sort of hang out there is, you know, we're, you got to do this to live to be a hundred. And I, my always retort to that is, I don't know what the hell is going to make me live to a hundred. I don't think anybody does, but I mean, um, I think, do think we can, I do think we can intelligently talk about health span and function. Okay. And so outside of, you know, metrics that you track that are, you know, that you get a lab for what else do you guys find that's helpful and useful for people to do and maintain as they make it through the 20s 30s 40s 50s and do we change do we need to change what we do based on our our age or is age just a number
2: well first of all we're huge fans of of maximizing health span and i think with the body of of knowledge that's available we can all maximize health span right till the end unless we get crippled or paralyzed or something. And it goes back to think. I think one of the biggest ones, and you know, this also been highly correlated to longevity is lean muscle mass. You know, of course, you know, when we're young, we start lifting because we want to look good, attract the girls, impress the guys, all of that. But when you look at it from, first of all, longevity perspective, um, you know, metabolically in terms of processing blood glucose, sugar, Lean body mass is the ultimate sponge. You know, your ability to store glucose, process glucose, prevent diabetic uh, diabetes and other uh, blood sugar related problems. There's nothing really as powerful as, as having more lean muscle mass. And so, yeah, lean muscle mass, just from a metabolic perspective, is incredibly powerful. But even functionally, you know, you think about people, you know, my grandfather uh, fell, broke his hip, and that was kind of the beginning of the end. And I always, you know, my, he, he was living in, my, in my, my home at the time. My parents, my, my dad built an apartment for him. And I remember thinking, you know, if, if he was stronger, would he have fell, right? And I don't think he would have, right? I mean, again, let's say he, somebody squats in their 70s and 80s. Are they going to just lose balance and fall and break their hips and stuff like that? I think it's very unlikely. Not impossible, but unlikely. So I think in terms of health span, being able to move around, having the drive to drive to get off the couch and do things and live life. I think, you know, lean body mass has got to be, you know, one of the number one things by a long shot. So uh, I think we're all into to weightlifting here and exercising. And this movement in general, there was a great um, research paper that came out a couple of weeks ago about steps. And, you know, moving in general is so key. And we know now that it's, it's not just you know, a couple of years ago, sitting sittings the new smoking. It's not sitting that's the issue. It's not moving. So even moving every half hour uh, has profound effects. Because if you don't move, after about 30 minutes metabolically, you, there's a lot of things that start happening, kind of like a cascade. So yeah, we're big fans of just movement in general. And I think ultimately you, you want to find something you're passionate about that you love doing that becomes a habit. That's something you're going to keep doing, whether it's yoga, running, Rowing, weightlifting, playing a sport, um, it's something you want to be able to, to continue doing and, and doing for the rest of your life. And I think building lean body mass, I think those two things uh, in terms of health span are just uh, massive. Wade?
3: Yeah, uh, a couple other things that I think is pretty, pretty uh, obvious. The one indication is, is uh, eat less over time. And it's one of the reasons I'm kind of being more conscientious about uh, keeping I've always been a fat like I've been in the fasting game for 20 years as well, a little bit more than that. So I think regular resets of, you know, of your digestive system, I think giving that recovery, we recover all our other muscles, I think eating less is probably a big thing, because I think a lot of disease starts in your guts. And so I, I think we can't overestimate digestive health, Um, The other thing is, is having social connections. I think one of the big things of this whole lockdown that I'm very concerned with older people is it's been demonstrated over and over again, your immunity goes down, the less that you interact with people. So having social connections is really important. I also think having a purpose to your life, and that purpose may be work, that purpose may be your grandkids or your families or community service, but I think those are really indicative, and um, I I think also, um, and, and this might sound a little hokey, but I think having a broader perspective through kind of a, a a spiritual perspective or a higher a higher vision for your life, I think it reduces a lot of anxiety as you get older and you're kind of you know heading towards the 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 final door if you will in this existence and i think if you've if you've worked that out in your mind and that could be you know as an atheist you've resolved that or it could be an agnostic you're okay but i think the people who have really really done well on that they kind of have a higher pers- a perspective that makes life and death less traumatic than say with, with, with other people. So I think those, those are definite comments, but I think we're going to see, I, I, if I look at Okinawans, you know, as, as, as a culture and I've gone there, if you look at their dietary practices, I think the nutrient dense foods they have, I don't think they they have as much deficiency diseases I think they, as a culture, they have a very reduced, it's probably the, when I was over there a couple of times, probably the quietest city I've ever been in. I don't think there's a lot of stress built up into it and they have uh, strong communities. And there's also, and this is something that we've really lost in the Western world is a celebration of people who are older. There's a, there's a respect in these cultures to older people that I think, um, makes the older people feel valuable and allows them to communicate their perspective. And I think we've, we've locked them up and drugged them up in a, in a way that I think does a disservice to uh, longevity factors. You know, I got a little late, a lady in my tent, ta- my parents' town. She's a hundred years old. She's actually turned 101 this year and she doesn't walk very well. She's got a club foot. She's still cutting, like, she's still loading her own wood. She crawls on the, on the ground to her garden. She refuses to let people assist her, you know, like, I mean, it's, she's like wobbling around in her house at a hundred, going to go down, like, you know, with a stick of wood. <laughs> she doesn't care. Like, she's like, no, no, if I, if I, if I give up, if I give in to people helping me too much, like I'm going down. And I've got things to do. I got pies to bake. Like, this is how her mentality is. So I, I've, I've talked to her and kind of interviewed these people. Uh, and I, I, I lived on a street, literally, that had um, three centurions and probably another half dozen people who made it into their late 90s. And uh, they all grew their own gardens. They all were part of a church group. Um, they all felt a sense of community and they all kept living in their own homes, doing the things that they had been doing for years. So I think there was some, some insight there on, on those things.
0: Yeah. I think we're all, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's interesting. Cause like, I think even if you're young, if you feel like you've lost your sense of purpose, it's very easy to like, kind of relate to like the level of like almost depression that would be the state and when you think of like the older generation like in the modern time where like you said essentially like we're going to lock you up in this spot we're going to give you these pills and we're just going to kind of like put you on the shelf until you finally kick the bucket it's like just to think about how you would feel at any stage of your life if that was kind of your reality it's like it's no wonder that that you lose that sense of purpose and your, your days tend to be numbered versus like what you were describing Wade where you know, there's these older people are not looked at as like uh, you know used up, but as this is an incredible resource that has like has had experience with like a couple generations and can can be a, a valuable like kind of piece to the community.
2: And what's exciting too, I mean, I think longevity-wise, um, you know, if you look at longevity over time, we were stuck in the 30s for a long time, and obviously now we're in the 70s, high 70s, low 80s, depending on the country. And I think we're right on the cusp of, you know, 100 being the new 70. I think when most of us are going to be in our 70s, 80s and 90s, it's going to be a reality. And I'm a, I think we're all, you know, bioptimizers, we're transhumanists by nature. I mean, really, if you take a supplement, you're into modulating the body and, you know, of course, tools like, you know, hormones and stem cells and, you know, different ways to intake nutrients uh, are all game changers, and of course, we don't know the exact impact of that, as, as Sean would say. But I think it's safe to say that a lot of these will have impact, and our understanding of these things is is growing exponentially. But I think the the end game is really going to be genetic editing, editing editing out bad genes, editing in longevity genes. Uh, God knows how long we can live. I mean, I think 110, 120, 150, is uh possibilities and again but you know do we have control over that no we might get hit by a car uh, later today who knows but i think one thing we do have control over is our health span as also sean alluded to and that's what we're into so you know lifespan um, i think will will increase over time it's just the nature of thing but uh, what we what we really focus on is health span
1: i think irrespective of what makes in the future whether it's gene editing or some sort of medication that, that you know that demonstrably prolongs human life because we don't have any data on human life yet uh, i think you still can't just eat garbage and not exercise and expect you're going to take a pill and live uh, live a long time because even if you do it the, the quality of life is going to be is going to be suffering so i think it doesn't change the the basic you know principles that you know sleep Eat, eat well exercise light exposure stress relief you know all the things that we just kind of keep saying over and over again it's just like the basics are still the basics and they don't go away and uh yeah you know
3: yeah to, to echo that point there was a prof, uh, professor olshansky that wrote a paper in the new england journal of medicine uh about 10 years ago uh maybe even a little bit longer than that but it was somewhat uh Censored after the current that, that presidential mention, I think it was under the Bush administration, where he demonstrated that the disability-adjusted lifespan in America was down to 60 years old. When disability adjusted, was that as they were on some sort of chronic medication or their lives were chronically compromised from some sort of physical ailment or medical condition. And he actually demonstrated that. Children today, if you if you took where their health was and the kind of diseases they were getting early in life, like heart disease and diabetes and and these things that were usually kind of age-correlated conditions, he said that the lifespan for young people kind of following the standard American diet of a cushy lifestyle and and, in garbage foods was actually dramatically going down. And they made him they, they actually censored his conclusions when he published that because they didn't want people to believe that. And of course, uh, now we had a few years because of the opioid crisis of lifespans going down inside the United States. And so I think what I believe is happening. And I think uh, uh, Noah Yuval Harari talks about this in Homo deus or Homo deus, whatever you want to call that is we're seeing a splitting of the species right now. And if You are into, you know, biological technology, which Matt and I are really deep, deeply into. And then there's, of course, there's, you know, AI and what those predictive models are going to be or or technological extensions that can maybe preserve various functions inside the body. Those people are, are, are going to be almost, it's almost like an evolutionary branch is splitting off because they're able to access those technologies and implement those technologies and as you know as you guys run in the human performance outliers really that's the crowd like you you can't study and this is one of my big pet peeves is you're studying ordinary you're studying normal and the reality is the people who are on those end of the bell curves you know, you know, like that's the model we got to start with. And then how do we enhance that model as opposed to where we are in the general population? Because I can tell you what, if, if, if you're going to, you know, fast food places every day and you're eating, you know, a package of chemicals every day, if that's your diet, you're and you're sitting on the couch and you're, you know, in front of a computer all day long every day you're not making it to a regular health span. You're just the chance you, you, like you're, you're really taking a long shot gamble. Yeah. Okay. You heard about the guy that's smoking 20 packs of cigarettes and a week and, and drinking a, a 40 ounce or booze every day. And, and people go, well, that's, that's my resignation of, 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 you know, that guy did it. So I'm going to be that too. You're just lying to yourself. And I think, um, like I said, you, We don't know. You could always get hit by a bus or, you know, like Kobe Bryant probably thought he was going to live a long, healthy life and had every available technology that he could. Um, So, you know, I think there's there's a case for both sides of it. How well can I live today? And if I live well today, I give myself the best chance, but it's not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee.
1: Yeah, I I had read that book as well, and it was kind of an interesting glimpse into what the future may be with the, the huge dichotomy of the people that, you know if they talk about a separation of you know wealth and you know then it's a then it's a separation of health wealth whereas the, the the extremely well-off people that are now almost superhuman and everybody else and it's it's kind of a you know a little dystopian in my view but uh maybe that you know will that happen i'm sure they're gonna be people who want it to happen i mean you know you 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 talk about you know what was it uh 20 30 years ago they talked about cloning being something that we should or shouldn't do and people wanted it to happen. So it happened. And so I think, you know, you'll see that somebody's going to figure out, you know, something that, that that will work and it'll be accessible only to the people that can afford it initially. And they will get a big leg up on the competition. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a uh, kind of interesting, but like I said, if you're, if you're uh, you know, suffering from diabetes or metabolic syndrome and you can't even walk down the street you're not even going to have a chance to to compete in that in that sort of arena and uh well there's there's a couple indicators i think that's on that too
3: um if you look at you you look at guys like you know in the athletic world of tom brady who's kind of pushing the curve out doing a lot of the things that we talk about inside of this world and probably a few things that we don't even know about that he's implementing in his life to kind of extend his professional career. But I've been tracking longevity for quite some time. And Japan has led the way for decades, even though that they smoke more than the population, the regular populations, which I think is fascinating. But uh, recently that changed. And the number one country in the do you know, do you know what the number one country in the world for
1: longevity is right now? Uh, depends with whose stats you read. I've seen, you know, yeah. Hong Kong has been there for a while. I mean, there's some other ones. I know some, uh, maybe Spain is being looked at, uh, being one of the ones, uh, I don't know. Monaco, Monaco. Yeah, well, and they're, and so small, and, what's they're small and rich. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so I think right now, unfortunately, because a lot of these technologies are, are not widely available or, uh, affordable for the general population ideally if more people that have access to capital resources are spending money and working that and, and, and doing that, I do believe that there could be a trickle down effect once, um, people understand and can actually put the testing in to show the evidence for it. And hopefully that'll bring the cost down over time, uh, for everybody else. That's typically the trend that's been happening in other areas of life. So I think it's as, as, um, human performance outliers and people kind of embrace that. It's, it's actually a noble service for us to uh, spend our time, our energy and money, not just for ourselves, but to push those limits because that kind of pulls up the awareness in, in other areas of our life. So uh, I know, I mean, you know, or, I, I didn't spend the money on, you know, the, the fancy cars and the big houses and all this stuff. And I like all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I, I took all that money and started pounding it back into my health because that's what I felt has been my mission for a very, very long time and continue to do so. And I think um, if you're, you know, like we share, we openly share this information with anybody who wants it and we encourage people to to, to spend the extra the disposable income in those areas, because I think over time it's going to pay off for yourself and pay off for the population
1: at large. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly echo, you know, health is wealth. Investing in your health is probably the most, you know, prudent way to invest your disposable income. If you if you, ha- if you have the luxury to have any disposable income, uh, just basic needs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about the guys like LeBron James, who spent, I guess, reportedly spends a million dollars a year on health maintenance, which obviously almost no one has that to do that. But, I mean... Uh, you know, he's guys one of the guys' top performers in the world, and that's what it, you know, that's what it takes to be, or can take to be that way. But I mean, there's, uh, uh, I, I would argue that not everything, you, not everything, you know, health wise has to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff's free. You know, <laughs> so eating I mean, less actually, is cheap. Yeah, eating less <laughs> is cheap. Fasting is cheap. Exercises can be cheap. Uh, so it's so still free. Yeah.
0: So, well, and you know, even at the level of LeBron James, when you're talking about like. I th- yeah, I think, I think it was like 1.2 or $1.3 million a year or something like that, that he spends on just like, you know, h- keeping his body where it needs to be. And I saw this article not too long ago and they're looking at that and they're like, well, yeah, but if he extends his career by even one or two years, he makes that up and then some. So it's like, that's just the, the perfect example of what you said, Wade, where, uh, you know, your health is wealth. So like, yeah, if he can extend it and it stands to reason, he's probably gonna extend his career more than just one year by spending that kind of money on his health. But uh, it does pay back even in I think a relatively short window of like an NBA career.
3: Well, I think also too if you look at your if you look at your the earning cycles of the general population and you know for men your prime earning years is usually between forty and fifty five and usually one of the big. Things that happens to guys when they're fifty five, you know, their hormones are in the toilet. The 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 stress of running a business or or being an executive or doing whatever is taking its toll. Theological components of not taking care of themselves. Uh, makes it so they can't make their performance mat. They can't make the performance measure. They Maybe they got cognitive decline. Maybe, you know, they're having blood sugar issues. Maybe they're not getting enough oxygen to their brain. Or, you know, maybe they're just tired or weak or t- the mobility is going. They don't have the same energetic resources, even though they have the experiential resources. So they're not able to tap the experience they have because the instrument that they're operating in is is not operating right. So I think that it's upon every single professional or executive or person who's trying to kind of maximize their, their earning power, which is going to determine what you can, you know, dedicate to your, your health investments. It's something that's going to pay, like he might for, for LeBron James spending a million dollars, you know, nets him another 25, 35, $45 million. So it's a, it's a 30, 20, 25, 30, 45 X or whatever. But if you look at, okay, let's say I, I, I dedicate, a thousand dollars a month. Okay. And a lot of people say, well, that's a lot of money, but if I'm spending a thousand dollars a month and my salary is a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I'm able to extend my earning power, you know, an extra uh, five years. Well, you know, the, the, if you look at your investment risk, you're almost a 10 X, you're eight, eight, nine, eight, nine X of the value that can bet. And chances are, if you're at that higher end of the, of the, of the scale in, in longevity, like you're up in your fifties or whatever, putting that money and maybe you have to put more money in that time, but the value you're going to be offering from an experiential level in business, I think is, is you're, you're crazy not to do it. And I think you're seeing that trend now is people are looking at high performing athletes and, and, you know, we have a, a kind of a VIP private executive business where we work with a few key parameter people who don't have the resource limitations. They're all saying, this is, this is great investment. I get it. It keeps me sharp. It gives me the edge to kind of keep ahead of the guys, the the young and hungry guys. And I can, I can leverage my experience and my wisdom and, and I still have the vitality to, to, to run with the big dogs. And I think, that's something that's really valuable. And then the quality of life they have on a day-to-day basis, you know, the, the, the joy that they experience in their, their marriage or with kids or grandkids and or their, their go-go power. I think all of that says, uh, really, I think a lot of people need to look at their investment portfolios and say, you know, how much am I actually allocating it to the most important investment of my life, which is this physical vessel, which, which determines everything that I do. And I, I'm, I'm surprised that it hasn't been as embraced widespread across the you know investment and financial industry or the higher end. But I think we're starting to see it open up now more and more and more with this exclusivity. And I think, I think that trend's going to continue. And again, once that happens, there's a trickle down effect for everybody. And just you know, to
2: piggyback off of what Wade said, I mean, I've, I've spent 150000 on my brain alone. That was six rounds of neurofeedback. I've got a medical grade. Uh, neurofeedback system at home. I've got you know, thousands of brain devices right next to my desk, on my desk here. I've spent close to $40,000 on my sleep setup. Okay, That's not counting my body. It does just sleep and brain. And I just, you know, as Zach said, I just ran the math. I'm like, you know, if I get a 10% boost in either productivity, focus, or any of these things, it has been way more than 10%. Uh, again, if you're an entrepreneur or you're an executive, if you're earning over, you know, $150,000 a year and you start getting 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100% boost in performance, I'm not even talking adding more years, which Wade is, is talking about, which is obviously another component. Uh, it pays for itself extremely quickly. So I think, you know, again, if you're in those categories, because uh, when we talk about performance, of course, there's the athletic performance, which We're all into, but we're also talking about mental performance. And again, if you're an entrepreneur or you're a sales guy or an executive and you got to make smart decisions, you got to work long hours or deal with a lot of stress, being able to improve these parameters pays for itself very quickly. So that's what we're big fans of. Sorry, go ahead, John.
1: No, I was going to say when I was practicing as a surgeon, um, I would see, you know, it was kind of sad because you'd see people that you know, they work their whole life to get to wherever they retirement age, 63, 65, 70. And then they spend literally the rest of their life going from doctor appointment to doctor appointment. And, you know, they have these dreams. Of, when I'm retiring, I'm going to go, whatever, climb Machu Picchu or travel the world. And they can't, I mean, they're literally, or they, if they do, they're miserable. They're in horrible pain. And I mean, it just doesn't make sense to work your entire life in the hopes that you're going to retire one day to some beautiful existence and you know and and physically not be able to do that so you know it, it is it was always frustrating seeing those folks and they feel like they've been betrayed i mean you know you put in all this time and effort and then what do you get at the end it's not this wonderful uh you know life that you thought you might have and, and it 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 starts young i mean you 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 make those investments early on and it's just like investing in any other thing you know it compounds your interest compounds with health you know and as you see you know what's fun for me is you know I'm you know I'm 53 I'll be 50 you know I'm uh, and and when I look just from an athletic standpoint I, the attrition rate is ridiculous I mean the guys at over 50 that can do hardly anything it's you know, your competition just fades away and that's both you know obviously from physical but also from 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 cognition uh, you know you're I think you're talking about that you know a healthy body healthy mind whatever it takes to get there is going to put you head and shoulders above your peers and your competition and so it's just a you know, the 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 thought that uh, you know you're just gonna kind of coast along and and uh, uh, come into retirement without any effort uh, on your part is just uh, you know it's kind of fantasy land in my view.
3: It's funny you say that because I'm um, I'm a big fan of uh, Skip and Shannon their their podcast like their kind of show that. We talk about sports and everything. Shannon
1: Sharpe, Skip Bayless. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. and you look at a guy like Shannon Sharpe who had, uh, you know, I think it was a 17-year career or something like that in pro football. He was a pro bowler. He won a bunch of Super Bowls. And he talks about – like the, the still does the physical discipline, watching his diet, working out. I saw videos of him. The guy's still pinch pressing 450 pounds in his fifties. In I mean, I mean, obviously he's a, a, a genetic freak and a specimen, but he hasn't just relied on that after his career. He keeps up his workouts. He keeps up training. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm, a, I'm not fast like I used to be, right? He goes, I, I get that. He says, but if you, if you compare him to his, his drop-off, compared to a lot of people in that age group. And he had enough energetic resources to start a completely different career that is not easy in the broadcast business and has one of the hottest shows and, and, and was, uh, was able to attract a mentor because, and Skip, Skip said, hey, you know what, I believe in this guy because he's got the work ethic, he puts the time and he puts the effort. And I think, you know, for me, that's, that's very inspirational seeing that type of person um the the work ethic to do and another friend of mine um Elvis Stoiko the famous figure skater from from Canada um he puts a lot of time and effort into his health and his vitality and his training regimen and you know after his figure skating career most people don't realize he started a racing career and the guy is out training doing go-kart training and he still performs his skating uh, routines. He has a, every year he has a whole routine where he still goes back to skating. So he's not sk- skating in competitions, but he's skating as an example. Uh, got a martial arts background. So he's still training martial arts, cart racing, and uh, doing figure skating exhibitions in, you know, at 50. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, so it really can show these people who we kind of idolize, but I think we ought to take the, the principles. Okay, maybe we're not going to be a professional athlete or professional sports person or whatever. Or we don't have the resources of some of those people. But they're still putting in the effort that's, like you said, it's low cost. It's low cost to get up and go to the gym. It's low cost to eat properly. It's low cost to make sure you take your vitamins. It's low cost to invest in health technologies like these people are doing on a day-to-day basis. And we can take that knowledge and apply it to ourselves.
1: Let me Let me just because you guys have been going for a while. I just want to get one last sort of bit of information on you guys. So talk about daily routines. What do you guys know? I know Matt's talking about a bunch of sleep and brain technology. What, I mean, what you guys, you know, I guess arguably would be kind of on the cutting edge or at least in some regards, what do you guys find is valuable to you guys? What do you find maybe conversely, what have you found not to be valuable? What are you guys doing currently? I guess i will talk about sleep since, uh, I've been such
2: an advocate and I'll give a quick story. So when I was in my twenties, I was really obsessed with productivity. I was working 80 hours a week in the gym. I was recording a hard rock album, studying marketing and training twice a day. So literally it was about hundred to 110 hours of what I called productivity. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't have time to sleep, you know? So let me start cutting my sleep down. And I decided, okay, I'm going to cut sleep down every 50, by 15 minutes every week or so. and As I crashed and burned when I got down to four hours, um, I was okay until about that point. Unfortunately, I was in my 20s. I was able to, to rebound after a couple months of sleeping eight, nine hours. But that set me on a journey. I started studying sleep and, and learning and reading and figuring out, wow, this is really where it sat. But my second kind of awakening around sleep was I was sleeping eight, nine hours a night, but I was waking up with brain fog. I was waking up tired. Um, and then I got an aura ring like right when it came out and I was using a ZeO sleep monitor as well. And my, my deep sleep was close to zero. So then I realized, and I got a body fat test at that time and it was way higher than I wanted it to be. And my testosterone was in the gutter. And I just realized, wow, well, my sleep's just impacting every component of my health. Um, it's impacting my brain. It's impacting my productivity. So that, that's what set me off because I realized after reading enough research on sleep that, in terms of up leveling every aspect of my life, it's probably the number one thing. Whether it's fat loss, muscle building, mental focus, mood, you know, blood sugar, you name it, it impacts it significantly. Immune system. I mean, one, one night of bad sleep, your immune system is down 50%. So I started uh, tracking things and started uh, implementing things. So I'll just talk about the big, the big ones, uh, Some of the cheaper ones too, because some are more expensive. The big ones that are cheap, one is to black out your room completely because I was one of these guys that slept with the sleep mask. And then I, I, I learned that, well, fo- you've got photoreceptors in your skin, and if the light hits your skin, even if you've got a sleep mask, it's going to affect your melatonin. So I just have, I've got two layers of blackouts in my bedroom and literally you cannot see your hand at night you can't see a thing. Um, so that was a big one. And the second one is temperature. And again, I was a guy, I slept in AC because I live in Panama, um, but that wasn't enough. I would, I would lose three to five pounds of water a night from sweating under the sheets. And the solution that solved that was the chili pad because the heat gets trapped between your body and the mattress and you just start sweating. And also you start tossing and turning because it's getting wet and all of these things. So getting a chili pad, now they got a better version called the the Uler O O L E R. Uh, That, that is one of the number one sleep investments you'll ever make. I mean, from there, a really good mattress. And my, my opinion, if you're a side sleeper, you want a foam mattress. In my opinion, the best foam mattress is Essentia. And especially if you've got wide shoulders, if you lift a lot or if you got wide hips, if you're a woman, you need to sink in because if your shoulder is getting compressed, that means the blood is getting trapped and your body's gonna toss and turn. If you're a back sleeper, it's not as, as important. But if you're a side sleeper, you need a good foam mattress because otherwise, again, blood's getting trapped and you're gonna be tossing and turning. Um, again, the essential essential mattresses are not cheap. That is a, a good investment, but again, it's one of the best investments I've ever made. Um, other than that, I'd say this is a free one is, is, uh, down regulating your brain waves before sleep. And that's a big one because if you're, if you're in a beta state and you try to go right to bed, you're going to toss and turn and you're not going to get a good night's sleep. If you can, you know, shift down your brains to alpha and, and you can meditate for 10, 20 minutes. It'll, it'll do the trick or whether you take a bath or, you know, whatever you do that relaxes you maybe an hour before bed, that, that is one of the most profound things you'll do, can do that. You'll, you'll notice the impacts. Uh, another cheap, free thing obviously is going to bed at the same time. And there's a great book called the power of when, which is about chronotypes. You got a, a website, I think it's called the power of when quiz.com. And, you know, depending on your chronotype, there is an optimal time to go to bed. So I'm a wolf, which means, you know, I'm, I'm more of a night person. So for me, midnight's kind of the, the benchmark. Wade is a morning guy. He's a lion. So for him, it's probably a few hours earlier. So depending what chronotype you are, going to bed uh, around that time is, is ideal. Because you don't want to hit that second win. A second win is, okay, I'm tired, but then you're not going to bed. And then your body produces cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline. And now you've got energy again, right? It's kind of a survival mechanism. Uh, you know, if, 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 you were staying up at night, cause you wanted to, to protect a tribe or f- fight off someone, uh, it was a valuable biological function, but the issue is you're not going to get a good night's sleep. So you want to, you want to hit the sack before that second wind kicks in because, uh, it's, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. So that's the big stuff. Obviously, there's certain supplements that can help. I'm a big fan of uh, L-theanine is, is a big one. Uh, I do find that I'll get better sleep on that one, L-theanine. Um, and do some other stuff you can try. Lavender oil uh, pills are, are good. There's one called CalmAid, very inexpensive. Uh, CBD for some people can help. So you want to try and try different things. Ideally, you try one at a time. And see how it affects. And the best sleep monitor that's available right now is called DREAM. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And it is a headband that measures your EEG. Because the issue with the Oura Ring is going off of secondary metrics to try to guesstimate your sleep. It's not measuring your brain waves. So you're not going to get a really good, uh, accurate sleep. So I'll, I'll stop there. But that's some of the big stuff.
3: Awesome. Yeah, for me, routines is you know I'm I'm more about how my morning routine works. Fun, interesting enough, as you said, to indicate is like, I, I for me, I like to get up, uh, do my meditation practice. I have a little body awakening energization where I move chi inside the body, and after you do it long enough, you can actually feel it. And so like you know whatever you want to call that, and then um, doing some sort of kind of slow cardio. So whether that's jumping on my rebounder or going for a long walk in the morning, all this kind of before I eat really gets the oxygen pumping and gets my mind in the best state. I notice, you know, my stress level or anxiety level or, you know, reactivity level is directly correlated by how well I run my morning routine. So Matt and I are very polar opposites. You know, we have different diets, different things. And so if I get my morning routine down sleeping for me has never been an issue. Uh, you know, as soon as I got my sleep that I was like, okay, I'm just knocking it out of the park every night. I can kind of sleep at will and wake up at will. So I'm really, really fortunate at that level. Um, I will say adding magnesium, probably the biggest game changer that I've taken in the nutritional industry. And, and I, I experimented with a bunch of different magnesiums. And I think that was, I, I, I can't really say that one's probably been the best thing that I've ever done, uh, in my life from as a nutritional supplement. And I'm not just saying that cause we, cause I have, we have a magnesium product. Like I, I would experiment with a bunch of other magnesiums before as Matt, did, and we just got tired of having six bottles, you know, <laughs> you know, that we wanted one. So that was a, a big thing. Um, of course doing weight workouts between minimum three, maximum of five times a week as I get older, I just. I I don't seem to recover quite as quickly and then um I I always have been a believer of adding at least one day of fasting in a week. When I drop that one day of fasting, I start to notice, you know, body weight, body fat starts going up and energy starts to go down. So there for me, you know, that's probably one of the biggest the biggest routine hacks. And then uh, I'm an extrovert. So I think you have to understand if you're an introvert or an extrovert. So I think introverts need a little bit more, you know, recharge time or alone time. And I need to have social time. If I'm not out, connecting with people or you know having interactions or getting that juice I really get fed and I get juiced and there's a certain amount of joy and vitality that comes from that that when I'm in a lockdown situation where I don't get to talk to people or see people or whatever or I'm I'm, I've been working too hard I went through a period where I wasn't seeing people and connecting with people and I was just working all the time and not having those kind of light and happy moments that kind of fill me up. That was a big factor in my over, and I, and I saw all my health metrics drop when I didn't have that social interaction and I saw them all improve when I did. So I'm, I'm very clear. Those are the things for me as, a, as kind of an extroverted and a morning guy that, that, that are definitely in the routine.
1: Well, great stuff, guys. Well, it's been uh, another pleasure talking to you guys. Can you guys just remind the audience how to find out you know, more about, I guess, bio optimizers and you guys in general. So they didn't know where to go to find stuff if they need it.
2: Yeah. So obviously our website is biooptimizers.com, B I optimizers, O P T I M I Z E R S.com. Uh, we do have a special discount code for everybody, human 10, to get you 10% off of every, anything in the store. And then we have our new product uh, that we'd love for you guys to try. It's called Cognibiotics and going back to keeping your brain sharp and your mood sharp and your mood in a high state. That's what it's designed to do. Uh, so Cogni, C-O-G-N-I-Biotics, B-I-O-T-I-C-S.com uh, slash human gets you 10% off as well. So new product, again, all of our products have a 365 day money, no questions asked money back guarantee. And um, yeah, we'd love for you to try them out and give us some feedback. <laughs>
1: Well, thanks again. It's been fascinating, guys, and keep doing the good work. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Wade, hopefully, he'll, when, once the quarantine's off, he can actually interact with people again. So, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you know, I'm on so, the
0: phone a lot these days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway,
1: Zach, anything awesome, else guys, you want
0: to? No, that was great. Thanks again for coming on, guys. I'll well, be sure to put uh, your links in the show notes. And uh, uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Travis. Thanks us. for having us. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.